Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. This is Aranax. This is the podcast about the transformation of the shipping, maritime, and ocean space. It's powered by Fathom World, and I'm your host, Craig Eason. At Fathom World, and with this new podcast, Aranax, we look at the huge developments facing our oceans and the main economies that rely on it. And we look at how regulations, societal pressure, and importantly, scientific and technological endeavours that are shaping its future. And that's what I'm interested in. After a career at sea, navigating ocean-going vessels of various types... And after a spell as a broadcast journalist, and now having spent 15 years as a maritime journalist, I've decided to bring this all together in the shape of a new podcast. So what do I want to do with this podcast? Well, not only do I want to show those outside shipping that this is an industry that is capable of changing, and is changing, I also want to show those in the industry how this change is happening, and the challenges and opportunities that exist. So Aranax is about telling the story of this transformation and change. It's going to be about the digitalization of shipping's tools. It's going to be about the opportunities that arise, such as with startups that seem to have sprung up out of the blue. Excuse the pun. I also want to use Aranax to shine a light on the environmental issues within the industry. And I want to put my efforts into looking at the people who make this industry tick and grow. And if you're wondering about the name, I've taken it from the Jules Verne novel 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, Pierre Aranax being the storyteller in the novel who describes the great wonders, the people and the inventions he sees. So for my first episode, I'm going to look at two completely different corners of shipping in the space of 15 minutes. On the one hand, we have a rather unusual idea that maybe, just as mad as it seems, or it may be an unusual idea that could become reality. This idea is to take CO2 emissions from ocean-going ships, freeze them, shake them into giant spears, and shoot them down through the deep water of the ocean into the seafloor. Ivar Moltke is the Danish inventor behind the idea, and I'll be talking to him later. But first, let's look at those giant engines on board ships. They are huge. Sometimes they're called cathedral engines and they need a lot of fuel to provide the power to push hundreds of thousands of tonnes of ship and cargo through the water. But just like the rest of society, shipping is set to decarbonise, and do so dramatically. So these ships with these giant engines need a cleaner fuel. Now there's a lot of debate about which fuel, and which ones have the power density to do it. So this is the reason I went to Man Energy Solutions in Copenhagen. Man Energy Solutions was until recently known as Man Diesel and Turbo, changing its name as it published its own ideas of its energy transition. Man itself is a giant company owned by a giant company, the Volkswagen Group, so a simple sounding thing like a name change is really no simple thing. But this impending challenge is one of the reasons Man Diesel and Turbo changed its name to Man Energy Solutions. So I went to Copenhagen to write a report for Fathom World on the new Man strategy. 
It was there that I met with Brian Ostergaard Sorensen, who is the group's head of two-stroke research and development in Copenhagen. It's his job to look at all the possible fuels and to use the MAN network to find out how to convert the group's portfolio to meet them. I started by asking him how he thought this energy transition is going to start. Some of the fuels uh, that will be uh, part of this uh, transition towards 2050 and a decarbonized world, they are already here. So when I look at uh, LNG, for example, LNG is, is today a proven, uh, a proven fuel. Uh, I know today it's, it's fossil-based, but you could imagine a future where it will be bio-LNG, it will be uh, synthetic LNG. So from an, an engine perspective, uh, that is actually, uh, you can say, it, it does not really matter what type, how it's generated, the fuel, because the molecule is the same. So, so we see various uh, types of, of fuels already today, as mentioned. And then we see new types emerging. There is today a lot of talk in the industry about ammonia. Uh, ammonia, uh, hydrogen uh, to a certain degree, uh, but ammonia uh, is interesting, um, even though it's poisonous, it's interesting from a handling point of view on board. Um, so, so we are also looking into how would ammonia affect our engine portfolio, what we, would we need to do as a, as a technology provider to, to be ready uh, in case the market would go in that direction. Hydrogen, we believe we, we could also uh, see that as a potential maybe a little further out. Uh, there are different uh, challenges around uh, handling it operationally on board the vessel. Uh, so, so, so we think that will maybe decide how how fast the uptake is of, of utilizing pure hydrogen on board. A lot of what you're doing then and a lot of these discussions about fuels rely on the discussions at the IMO and elsewhere having a complete yeah. life cycle perspective of the fuels. In other words, whether they are actually um, made in a sustainable way so that by the time those fuels are burnt in the engine on the ship and the emissions come out of the engine, that they are considered low CO2 emissions. So there's a carbon neutrality yeah. there. That's going to be an important factor moving forward then how would you counter that if the IMO comes out and decides it only wants to take a tank to wake perspective i.e. only looking at the emissions that come out of the funeral so you can say today we uh, for for the two stroke part we we supply technology that is that is sort of based on board and then we are looking into abatement technologies of the exhaust uh, of the exhaust fumes so so there we are catering for for the from tank uh, to wake you can say uh, technology as man energy solutions mm. we are looking into the well uh, to tank uh, part of it as well where we are looking into hydrogen we are looking into power to x uh, capabilities uh, that is uh, in other areas of, of the company so, so we are trying to have that holistic approach how do we actually move towards a decarbonized world uh, so, so, so that is a perspective we have within the company What's your take then on CO2 abatement on board the ship? Are there the technologies, do you perceive there being the technologies that could be used on board vessels to effectively remove the CO2 from the emissions? I think the, the cost today is, is too high. 
uh, and and one could argue would it be uh, would it be more efficient to actually do it at, at a larger central plant and not having maybe a hundred or a thousand smaller plants out sailing um, those are some of the discussions that has been in the in the shipping industry so carbon capture technology is there today it's it's still not fully mature um, and I think the cost today is extremely high so so I think it will develop uh, but we also see fuel today like ammonia for example that where, where you basically you don't have a carbon molecule uh, we, you have LNG where you are reducing CO2 uh, emissions already so there are different fuels in, in, in the transition towards decarbonization of, of, mari- of, of the maritime industry. So with that in mind in terms of the range of fuels that uh, we're looking at potentially coming into the industry yeah. how are you as heads of R&D in the two-stroke business looking at your engine portfolio and preparing those to actually meet whatever might emerge in the industry because at the end of the day we might find that it isn't one fuel suits everybody there might be a whole different range of fuels and that must make your job more exciting and complex uh, but for the ship owner a lot more daunting in terms of the choices they've got to make yeah so so basically what we are what we have done is we are we are building different technology platforms that can cater for for what i call different clusters of fuel so so we have a platform that can can burn these gaseous type of fuel we have a platform that can burn liquid gas uh, fuel and and uh, and then we have uh, you can say liquid burning engine so we're trying to to develop portfolio of engines that uh, with, with with very very small modifications can actually burn different type of uh, of fuel within the same platform uh, and that could be uh, from a retrospect uh, retrofit perspective where you are basically able to rebuild your engine to burn some of the new fuel types we might see so you choose one technology today but you have a platform that you can adjust to some of the new fuel types we 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 see are entering the market that is how we try and future proof the the engine portfolio and how about with some of these fuels the actual containment on board the vessel with lng obviously um it's known that you need a pressurized tank the energy capacity of the lng in that tank is a lot less than uh, conventional fuels so there is that um, energy density that has to be considered so how are the other fuels stored on board and what considerations do you have to take when thinking about the fuel supply into the engine yeah so we try and have a holistic uh, approach to you know when when for example we have uh, as you mentioned lng uh, could be ammonia could be methanol then we have a, a, a holistic view we have a department here looking at ship integration this the ship supply system and then we say you know that part is often the shipyard or a ship designer that is designing that part and and then we say how do we then get it into our engine uh, what would we need what would the specification be for getting the fuel into the combustion chamber and then combust it in in the most efficient way making sure that we uh, we have the least nox production can we do something around the uh, the the sulfur content and the more efficient uh, you you can say the less energy you also need from an operational point of view and by that also minimize within the technical boundaries the co2 emission of, of that particular fuel at this stage very soon you're going to be starting a new test engine a second test engine here in copenhagen yeah why have you done that why are you bringing in a second test engine 
But it's actually uh, to go back into the to the, all the new fuel types you mentioned in the beginning, and and we see there is a need to to do more testing of, of these new types coming in, and we want to be more efficient in the way we utilize our time. So so we will be able to to test and then rebuilt to a different configuration on the other and then vice versa so so you can say test uptime if we can call it that uh, will be higher and uh, and we will be able basically to test more uh, of the interesting configurations we know we will have to do for 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 these future technologies That was Brian Ostergaard Sorensen at Man Energy Solutions headquarters in Copenhagen, talking about how the group is looking at future fuels and the construction of a new test engine that will be adding to the existing engine in the city. But what if shipping cannot wean itself off fossil fuels, or even if it turns out that using biofuels or these power-to-x fuels, they still need to do something with their CO2 emissions? There has been a lot of talk and development in carbon capture and storage, or sequestration. There has been recent developments with regulations that pave the way for work in storing CO2 underground, such as using depleted oil and gas reserves under the seafloor. That's good for heavy industry perhaps, but not so easy for shipping to store its CO2 on board and discharge it ashore for delivery into a CCS system. But one inventor in Copenhagen has found another idea that may be part of the solution. As improbable as it sounds, Ivan Moltke believes deep sea shipping could quite conceivably take the CO2 out of a ship's emissions, freeze it, shape it into a projectile and drop it from the ship into the sea floor of the deep oceans. He's formed Decarbon Ice. It's one of the projects being backed by the Danish Maritime Development Centre and has the backing of some very influential ship owners, a shipyard and some technology companies that have been convinced not only by the science but by the physical properties of CO2 in the deep oceans. So, following my visit to Man Energy Solutions in Copenhagen, I set off to visit Ivan Moltke in his home in the leafy outskirts of Copenhagen, where I sat down with a cup of tea to hear how he thinks such an idea as dropping frozen CO2, which is called dry ice, could work. I started by asking him how he came up with the idea. Yeah, actually, the idea was uh, in an ICCP uh, report. It was just like one sentence in the report, but uh, it caught my imagination, and uh, I I went into trying to make this into a reality. It's actually a report which is um, 13 years old, and, and nobody has, seems to have been working on it since, so it was pure luck. What about that? part of the report what about this particular suggestion made you think that it could be applied to ships emissions yeah the the original idea was to take uh, co2 from power stations uh, ashore and and sail them into the ocean and dump them but uh, i was looking for an easy solution for storing co2 from ships because on on a ship um uh, if you, you catch all the CO2 uh, on a container ship going from uh, China to to Europe, uh, it's about 10,000 tons. So it's a huge amount of CO2. Uh, so we didn't want to bring all this CO2 ashore and, and, and store it. We, we wanted to find a solution 
uh, on the voyage to to uh, store the CO2? Obviously, it's an idea that's in its infancy at the moment. So there's a lot of steps that you're going to go through to be able to bring this idea to anything close to reality. And I know you've got a consortium of very large chip owners and technology companies now that are actually seeing some value in this concept. But what are the key challenges that you see to getting even a demonstration project? The, the process is composed from the, the capture. I think the capture process is fairly... Uh, commercial uh, available so I think that not so uh, difficult there's very little knowledge about the, um, the strings and the friction and all kind of mechanical properties of dry ice made like ice cubes because usually dry ice is made uh, as powder and compacted into solids which is uh, and, and dry ice is the frozen co2 the idea is that using existing technology you'd be able to condense the exhaust extract the co2 as a liquid and then freeze it but freeze it in a way that would make it a hard ice-like consistency yes and not as a powder-like consistency like you might find with snow yeah because uh, Nowadays, uh, there's used a lot of CO2, actually uh, several hundred million tons a year of CO2 for like uh, soft drinks and uh, beer. And and a lot of, of it is used as uh, dry ice for cooling in the process of making foods like ice cream and things uh, like that. So so it's a fairly common material in the, uh, in, in the industry, but we have a slightly different... Uh, approach because we want it also to be very strong so that it will survive the process of uh, going from the ship into the seabed. Well, let's look at that process in a bit of detail then. So you, on board the ship, you're going to form a kind of arrow or projectile shape out of the dry ice and drop it out of the ship. Will it go straight down into the seabed? And what makes you think that it will stay in the seabed? Yeah, it, it actually moves quite fast downwards because it's very streamlined. Uh, so it's uh, uh, the gravity of the densified uh, CO2 is uh, it's about 60% heavier than water, so it, it'll drop. It's, it's like concrete if you drop uh, concrete into the ocean. So so it will catch uh, speed and it will hit the, the seafloor uh, at a speed about 20 meter per second which is quite fast uh, uh, 70 kilometers an hour so uh, and but if i dropped or if i threw an ice cube at um, a wall at that kind of speed i would expect the ice cube to shatter so why would your frozen ice frozen dry ice when it hits the seafloor not do something similar it's because um, the seafloor is not very compacted. It, it's like the top layer of the very deep sea, not not the kind of sea we, we have in the North Sea and so on. But if you get into the very deep ocean uh, areas, uh, the seafloor is actually almost uh, liquid. So uh, it's 80% water in the top layers. So, so it hits something which is... Um, like porridge or something very very soft and then it gradually gets less soft as the water is pushed out by the weight of the sediments so uh, within the 
maybe the first 50 meters of the sediments, they get from something very liquid into something which is like a, a beach. Um, and we only need the top part of that sediments for the storage. And what makes you think then that it will stay there? You've got this frozen CO2 shaped like um, a rocket or a spear or a javelin that's gone down into the seabed. Sure, it's sat there in the seabed, but anything could happen to it then. Yeah, it. you know, the, the dry ice is extremely cold, so... Uh, when it comes into the, the seabed, it will start melting, but it's still very cold when it's melted. It's uh, minus 60 uh, centigrade. So when it mixes with uh, uh, water, it makes hydrates. Hydrates is kind of a mix of CO2 and water, uh, which turns into um, an ice. Um, and this kind of ice has a melting point of 10 centigrade instead of zero centigrade as ordinary ice, which means that when it is in the ocean, which is at that depth as four to five centigrade, then uh, it will uh, it will not melt. Uh, we 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 need to heat the ocean uh, another six degrees in order to to melt it. So so it will stay ice. Uh, this special kind of hydrate ice uh, within the sediments. And as a kind of second line of defense, uh, we uh, expect to use areas of the seabed where uh, the CO2 is uh, heavier than water. Uh, if if we go below 2,800 meters depth, uh, CO2 is heavier than water and it will sink into the sediments instead of uh, rising into the ocean. So... This way, even a leakage from our uh, deposits will not mean that we uh, uh, make the ocean more uh, acids. Obviously, we're looking at this concept being used on only very large international ships. Have you looked at how those shipping lanes pass over those geographical areas where you think it'd be suitable to drop the ice into the water? Yes, there are all kind of obstacles on the on the seafloor. There's areas where the water is too shallow. There, there are areas where there are mountains and trenches. There are areas where there are volcanoes and lava at the bottom and so on. Um, we'll need some kind of storage on board the ship to bridge the gaps. There will be shallow areas. There will be mountains. There will be um, all kind of obstacles. Uh, there will also be some man-made obstacles like... Uh, um, ocean uh, communication cables and uh, pipelines and things like that. So, so the intention is to to make a kind of approved storage area where we don't disturb uh, um, habitats for uh, for sea life. We don't disturb uh, man-made structures. We don't try to deposit places where the sediments are too uh, strong. We don't. Uh, go to the continental slope because we don't want to uh, make any risk of disturbing the, the balances. That was Ivor Moltke, the Danish inventor and entrepreneur behind decarbonized concept, explaining the physics of dropping spears of dry ice or frozen CO2 from large ships into the seafloor of the deep ocean. 
that's it for this episode of Aronax. Our future episodes will include a continued examination of some of the new and fascinating technologies that are reshaping our maritime space. And next week, I'll be talking to the International Chamber of Shipping about their proposal to create a research and development fund to help pave the way for this decarbonised shipping industry. I'm Craig Eason from Fathom World. Thank you for listening. Remember to sign up for updates and goodbye for now.